the Wholesale Link Studios, powered by RumbleOn.com. It's time to take you behind the scenes in Smash Man. Cuts across, he scores! This is the Preds' official podcast with Thomas Willis and Brooks Bratton. Powerful move from back of the net on Smashville's best sports talk, ESPN. 102.5 The Game. We hope you're doing well. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Preds' official podcast on ESPN 102.5 The Game and streaming on the Game Nashville app. For more about the show and to subscribe to future episodes, go to NashvillePredators.com slash podcast. For Brooks Braden, my co-host, for Calvin Smith, our producer, I'm Thomas Willis. Welcome to the second annual and second ever NHL trade deadline edition of the POP. Brooks, one of the more exciting 72-ish hours headed our way and for the NHL and then specifically, of course, the Nashville Predators. It's turning into one of the more exciting weeks, couple of weeks. People, yeah, spoiler people alert, like to spoiler, get ahead of this. Spoiler alert, NHL teams. GMs have been wheeling and dealing like crazy already. Which I'll, I'll say right off the top is something that essentially was previewed by GM David Poyle on our last episode when he said, if I could, if I were one of those teams that we have been, meaning Nashville, in years past, I know where we're at. I feel like we're in solid positioning. We're either going for the division, but we're definitely making the playoffs. I'm going to go ahead and make my deal. And you've seen that. You've seen the Tampa Bay Lightning go ahead and make a trade. You saw the Pittsburgh Penguins have gone ahead and made a trade. You've seen a lot of these different teams be like, you know what? We're in it. We feel good about where we're at. We're going to go and pull the trigger because they know it can be (laughs) – bloodbath's not the right term, but it can turn into a true (laughs) frenzy when it gets to Monday at like 1 o'clock-ish because if you don't know – Monday, February 24th at 2 p.m. That's it. That is the trade deadline, meaning... 2 p.m. Nashville time. 2 p.m. Central time. Noon, 3 Eastern, noon Pacific, Pacific. 3 Eastern. I mean, that's it. Again, uh, traditional caveat, if you are on the trade call at that deadline when it passes, you are then able to complete the deal. So yeah. sometimes at 3 p.m. Nashville time, you still may have one go through. But that being said, you can't just... You know, keep calling teams and make a move. You're so, back to, it's like you're calling the bank and you're like, there is a 35-minute wait. Yeah, <laughs> Please much. stand by. Your call is important to us. That's what I imagine when the trade deadline and the, sure. <laughs> the trade calls are backed it's up. It's a 1-800 number. Your sure. call is important to that. us. Yeah. <laughs> Please stay tuned. Something like that. So, yeah, um, you've seen, you know, sorry, one more to mention Alex Martinez. Alex Martinez going to the Vegas Golden Knights, which yeah. are a little bit iffy. They're not exactly in the race as much as you might see. Vancouver Canucks getting Tyler Toffoli there in essentially the lead with the Pacific Division. They feel like they're in as well. Yeah. And then all of a sudden your attention starts to turn to the Arizonas, the Nashvilles, the Calgarys, the Winnipegs, all on that cusp, all on that playoff line. What do they do? So let's get to the three games since last we spoke to you because we said on last week's episode that what occurred in those games is going to impact you know, whether the Predators are a buyer or a seller at the deadline. We do record this on Thursday. We will say that. However, the overwhelming chances are the Preds have up to four more points that they can gain at Chicago, at home against Columbus. But considering the other teams, the most likely scenario is the Preds will be outside of a playoff spot with games in hand on Monday, February the 24th. So we pretty much know, or at least have a good guess, of what might occur. But first, what happened in the week prior? So they helped themselves out a decent amount over the weekend, the Nashville Predators did. That home-and-home home set against the St. Louis Blues, they won both of them. To sweep the season series for nothing, sweep the weekend, a 4-3 win in St. Louis on Saturday, and then a, to come home 
on Sunday, a 2-1 win, and then figure out a way to do it. And that's what the Predators needed to do mm-hmm. at this point in the season. I think we talked about it on this show. Mm-hmm. To say that that weekend potentially was going to determine how the season shook yeah. out or or how the trade deadline well, might shake and out. And more the other way. Like, if you lost both of those games, we probably already know the answer right now. The Preds are almost definitely going to be sellers at the deadline. But then you go the other way and you win both. Yeah, they do. And and it was, a, I mean, playoff-like atmospheres. I think as you expected, mm-hmm. probably. Like, it's it's easy to get up for those games. It's the, the defending Blues. champ, of course. Yeah, yeah you're always going to have a little bit extra effort. So you're right. Kyle Turris kind of plays hero that entire weekend, has yeah. the three-point game on Saturday, only his second as a member of the Preds, and then scores the game winner on Sunday in a 1-1 tie. Not the Preds' best effort by any means. And they said that afterwards. Pecorine was fantastic, and yet they still had a chance because of their goaltender, and Kyle Turris comes through. Sunquist got knocked down by Forsberg. The puck's still free, given out to Turris. Turris, stick him, and he scores! Kyle Turris scores with 2-12 to go! It's 2-1 Nashville! They didn't give up on that play. Playoff-level excitement from Pete Weber. Dare I, I say playoff-level decibels at Bridgestone? It was, Bridgestone was rocking on Sunday. I almost expected a Brent Peterson like, ah! From Hal Gill there after that that call, yes, um, very intense, and and you could feel it, and even just that old time hockey, as they say, just much more physical, more penalties being doled out because yeah. of it, um, but a very tight checking game, a good game. By the way, on Saturday, a couple of scraps too in the first period, Philip Forsberg and Braden Shen, a couple of a couple of stars going at it in front of the net, but then the one that was, I think, everybody was kind of looking for waiting for Mm -hmm. it was the first time the Preds had played Robert Bortuzzo since he was suspended for injuring Victor Arvidsson back in November and that's kind of the way the game works I think he probably had an idea that Bortuzzo was going to get challenged it was Jared Tenorti who stepped up I think a lot of people thought maybe Austin Watson would be the guy but Jared Tenorti who is a physical player six foot six is not afraid to fight whatsoever. He was the guy that ends up challenging Bortuzzo. I think yeah. he would have liked if the scrap would have gone on a little bit longer. Tenorti's <laughs> jersey came up pretty quick in the linesman. Not intervened. a lot of punches thrown by Forsberg or Tenorti in those. No. But sometimes it's the the thought that counts. Can, yeah, can you no. use that here? Well, <laughs> absolutely. And that was what we asked Victor Arvidsson about. And then John Hines postgame. And, and, I mean, that goes a long way. Not that everybody didn't already respect Jared Tenorti in the room. But when you do that, especially Tenorti wasn't even up here the last mm-hmm. time when that happened back in November. But when a guy is willing to do that against a, a tough guy in Bortuzzo, too, it's willing to stick up for your teammate. It shows your teammate that you're, you've got his back. It shows the whole team that he's got your back. And John Hines said that as well, that that's part of what can bring a locker room together. Yeah. in a team is a guy who was willing to do something like that for your teammate. And I will say that they continued on the broadcast on Saturday to show the hit of Bortuzzo, the cross check. And let me tell you, like seeing it multiple times, I was like, man, it just seems even worse when you keep watching it back. I mean, even as an impartial third party, if you were like, it's just so clear that there's some intent to injure. Like it is just not good. You see, he makes the cross check looks at the ref, knows he's going to get a penalty, and then when he goes back for more, that it, it is tough to watch. So, again, good to see some level of, like you said, respect and retaliation um, from there. And then in that game, Matthew Shane said the next day, I thought this was interesting, he said he was encouraged the Preds were able to win 2-1 to one because he said when we've played kind of that poorly, if you want to use that term, you at least not up to their level that they want to, 
he said we lose that game six to one earlier in the season, yeah. and they're able to actually win that one two to one again. So important now when you're just trying to collect any point that you can. Pegarini in that game makes a season high thirty eight saves. Again, I, I said this earlier, but really the traditional recipe of just keeping the Preds in it, just trying to give them a shot until Terse is able to break through. Here's what he said after Sunday's contest. Yeah, for sure. It's like you said, October. That's a that's a long time ago. Uh, I feel like you know. I feel like we can be honest. It's been it's been a struggle, um, you know, for the most part this year. After the October, we had a fairly good start, but after that, it's been full of ups and downs. And uh, so, um, you know, lately, I, I think it shows in our game that uh, we, you know, we play with a lot of passion, just just gutsy plays. And um, you know, I feel like we've changed the way we we kind of play the game and um you know it's it's also it's obviously it's Heinze but it's it's the players buying into it and um I, I think it shows so that was the first three game win streak since October we've talked about it before kind of hard to believe uh and and Craig Smith said that on Sunday that it it's unacceptable this is that this was our first three game win streak since October pretty shocking uh but good to see it nonetheless at that point, the Preds were only one point out of the wild card spot, but things can change so quickly in the standings, and they did on Tuesday. A 4-1 loss to Carolina on Tuesday night in Nashville, certainly one of the more disappointing efforts in the last month or so. I don't think the Preds have played a lot of bad hockey over the last few weeks. They haven't won right. every game, but coming into that game, they had won seven out of their last ten games. They were certainly trending upward. And Carolina has always been one of the hardest working teams in the league in recent memory, and the Predators have had trouble with the Hurricanes in the past few years. And they they talked about the Predators did that morning and then post game about trying to come down from the high after the weekend against St. Louis, but they were just unable to get much of anything going against the Canes. And as John Hines says, it's it's kind of a new challenge. He hasn't seen he obviously hadn't won three straight games with this team. And then what followed presents a new situation for the Nashville Predators that they're going to have to work through. Another situation for us together as a group since 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 I've been here, it's the first time we, we did win three in a row. Uh, we came off, you know, a weekend where I think everyone feels good. And, you know, as a coach, we had a day off yesterday. And, you know, I I didn't have a great day off because you're worried about where the, where's the mindset of your team. And, and, and a lot of times you can get lost. You can get lost in a big win. You can get lost in success. And... The second that happens, you, you you get complacent. It's just the, you just lose your edge a little bit, and you lose your hunger. And and um, it's human nature, but that's something that you know we didn't handle the situation uh, as well as we need to. But it's the first time we've seen it. We have bounced back after some some bad losses, um, and you know we didn't we didn't bounce back and and play the game, be prepared to play the game the way you need to uh, after two big wins and three in a row. So that's an area we certainly have to address and we have to improve. You hear how direct John Hines is there in both his thoughts prior to the game and then especially afterwards. I think that speaks to even what GM David Ploy was saying on our show last week, and that was he's very direct in his communication. There's a play, As a player, you know where you sit with him, what, you, what he needs from you. And I think for a coach as well, in the what is it seven-ish weeks that he's been here, to the media, I'm sure to his team as well, he said many times, He's so big on the mental aspect of it, the intentionality, the focus, being willing to put into the work. So to lead up to that game and be saying, 
You know, the Carolina's one of the harder working teams, one of the hardest working teams, and that did not be able to match that. I think that's what left that frustrating. So, yeah, v- very tough to know exactly why. And I think particularly as well, I think a lot of people left frustrated because it didn't feel that close as far as the score, as far as the effort. Like it was, okay, you could tell pretty early on, yeah, the Hurricanes are probably going to win this game because the Preds were at a different level. So that's a tough question we wanted to try and answer as best we could to conclude this segment is, you know, like how does that happen? Why does that keep happening? We talked about it, the first three-game winning streak since a while. Well, that's because it's been win to lose to win to lose to kind of seems to, you know, kind of keep going in that mindset. So it'll be interesting to see what, what leads up until this deadline. We said last week there were six games to go at that point. I said the Preds have to win four of them if they want to even consider being a buyer. They're three and one. They've won three of them. They started mm-hmm. off with three. So we'll see, like we said, at Chicago versus Columbus, if you win both of them, are you close enough? Again, still thinking they're probably not in the playoffs technically, but with games in hand and being so close, do you look more of a Columbus Blue Jackets angle from last season? Do you say to yourself, you know, I'm still willing to take the risk? And we'll dive into this in the next two segments. But it's so much a balance of if you buy, that means you're not selling. In theory, right? That means you're not giving up a Craig Smith or a Mikhail Granlin. You're not you're only not acquiring new assets. You're also spending as well. So interesting to see with that balance between such great efforts over the weekend and then such a tough and frustrating loss on Tuesday. When you heard John Hines say he didn't have a great day off because he was worried about the mindset, and I don't think he's saying, "I gosh, I wish we wouldn't have had a day off. Right. One, I don't know of any team that doesn't have a day off when after they play a back-to-back. Yeah. And two, it's more of the players coming to the rink with the right mindset, as he mm-hmm. said. And and for whatever reason, it, it just doesn't – it's not going to happen every time, right? You're not going to win every game, especially against a team like Carolina who's feeling good about themselves. Their moms were in attendance. That always helps a little bit. Quit bringing your mothers to Nashville. <laughs> just quit. <laughs> Popular spot. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it, it just it just didn't work out. And so now, as we said, this is a new challenge to see your club win three games and then to follow it up with an effort like that, the bounce back this weekend, again, has got to be there. It has to be on point Uh, because this team is, you look at the schedule, there's approximately seven weeks to go as we record this before this weekend set, 23 games left. The Predators, they're probably not going to go 23-0 and the rest of the season. Right. That's not going to happen, right? I'm not taking that bet. But... They have to find that level that they found against the Blues more often than not. Mm-hmm. We know that time is of the essence. They need to win a lot more than they can lose. And I will be fascinated to see against with these two coming up on the weekend here how the Predators respond because this is the time of the year that you need to respond and bounce back from something like this. They've done it before, as John Hines said. They need to do it again. Right. Let's carry that discussion into our next segment because – what is the challenge that is before the Predators right now is, like you said, you have to be better than not 70, 80-ish percent of the time and getting those points the rest of the way this season because of the position that you are in right now. You cannot afford to keep winning to, losing to something that you've got to be better than not the rest of the way. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the trade deadline. That's all coming up on the Preds' official podcast on ESPN 102.5 The Game. And I heard say, yeah, yeah. Come a little bit closer, 
Preds official podcast on ESPN 102.5 The Game, an NHL trade deadline edition of the show. For Brooks, I'm Thomas. Thanks for sticking with us. All right, in the next 20, 30-ish minutes, let's dive into the trade deadline, focusing, of course, specifically on the Preds as much as we can and what may or may not occur on February the 24th. So, first off, all our caveats should be tossed out. A, we are recording part of this on a Thursday, and B, if we can have the general manager of the National Predators on this show last week and he say, I wish I had a crystal ball, I'm sure I haven't decided there's so many other factors and balls that I'm juggling. If he's saying that, you got to give us a little bit of grace when, <laughs> when we make our predictions and, and our understanding as well. So we, again, we'll just go from being as close to the team as we are, you know, seeing our perceived needs, what's happened historically. Again, we'll do the best to make a educated prediction, but we could absolutely be wrong. And if that's the case, just tweet at us, laugh at us. You are more than welcome to do that. <laughs> Who really knows what's going to happen? Yeah, I, I think that was really quite indicative of the feeling around a lot of the league right now. What David Poyle said last week is 75% of the teams he feels like that he's dealing with right now is kind of are kind of like, well, we're in this position, and maybe if we get a couple more wins, we'll do this. But then if we don't, then we're thinking this, and everybody's really so that that's what I'll be fascinated to see because there there really have been a decent amount of trades out ahead of this thing, mm-hmm. including a, a lot of defensemen for the most part, and I think that's a trend that you've seen. In years past, and maybe it's always happened, and I just haven't realized it. But I feel like in in recent seasons, more often than not, teams are really getting out ahead of things. It, mm-hmm. it used to be that everything would happen in the last couple of days leading up to the deadline. I remember growing up when you'd have, and not to say this isn't going to happen, and that it still happens. But I feel like there were certain trade deadlines where noon, one o'clock, two o'clock, it was just rapid fire, sure. and that could happen again. But I feel like, as David also said last week, if you know what you are and you know what you want to do, why would you wait? Why not just do it? And so I think that's where it gets tricky, too, right now, because teams still, I would argue, don't really know if they're going to be buyers or sellers. Mm -hmm. And then how does that affect the prices for things? I think that's another complaint that we've heard before is that, well, the prices are just too darn high, right? And so how much are you willing to gamble or how much are you willing to give up yeah. for a piece that you don't even know if you necessarily need it? And I think that's where that's what really gets tricky for David Poyle is if you decide that you want to buy something and you don't, you end up not making the playoffs. Not only have you acquired a piece that ultimately didn't really help you get to where you want to go, but then you've also probably given away some assets in the process. Mm-hmm. On the contrary, if you don't do anything or if you trade someone, but you still all of a sudden find yourself in a playoff spot, are you saying, oh, gosh, it would have been nice to have X player with us right now? I mean, that's so yep. I just yep. we've said it before. I just do not envy David Poyle at all right now because mm-hmm. that is an incredibly difficult situation yep. to have to be in and, and a decision to have to try to make because in years past, he has known where his team is. Right, I don't think there's been any doubt in the last five years that, with the exception of maybe 2017, but you still felt like, yeah, we're trending in the right direction, that the Predators are going to make the playoffs. And well, there's just not, you don't have that crystal ball right now. I think 2017 is an interesting example because you did 
have P.K. Subban return from injury effectively just before the trade deadline, three, four weeks before, and you kind of felt like that was your acquisition, like you had made the move for him in the summer, and you're like, is this the piece? So then my question would become, is Ryan Ellis effectively that same thing again? And, yeah. and is re- Ryan Ellis the best deadline acquisition the Predators yeah. could make? Yeah, so I, I do want to at least toss that out. One note on that, again, it still seems like he's very close, still seems like he is going to return very soon. John Hines was asked, you know, earlier in the week, you know, is this the week that we see him, meaning Friday, Saturday, even spilling into next week. And he's pretty noncommittal. It was pretty vague. I mean, didn't make it sound as if like, oh, yes, he's definitely suiting up immediately, but did also comment, you know, he continues to progress. He continues to be closer. That's where I'll say for the 10 millionth time, it's a nonlinear injury, and you don't know exactly, okay, this, 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 now he does that. Yeah, you know, like There was never a time table on it. don't know precisely. But that being said, I still think he plays again this season, and I think he does pretty soon. So to that end, yes, I think that's the best piece you could get. So I think you... You have that in your back pocket. Either way you go, whether you buy or you sell. Now let's go a little bit more specifically. So, and is there an option C in here? As I pull this up, I mean potentially. I mean there is. I mean there is. Like, do you trade a Mikhail Granlin and you know wait and acquire something else and still make the playoffs? Maybe. So, do you make a hockey trade? Oh my gosh! Like, just there's so many potential. Right, as options. opposed to a buyer or a seller, is it a hockey trade? Which I would argue the Kevin Fiala for Mikhail Granlin last year at the deadline, even though it came in right at the deadline, that's probably more right. of a hockey trade. So here are the players. To and keep, by ho- by hockey trade, I mean not a rental. Yeah, you're not giving away okay, for a roster. It wasn't here's Mikhail Granlin for three draft picks Correct. and a prospect, right? Yeah. It was a legitimate player for a legitimate NHL yeah. player. And it's a trade that te- both teams think can help them immediately. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean by that. Okay, so maybe this is more from the seller perspective. But here's the players on the Predators roster to keep in mind. And again, anyone, as you said, could be traded just because you... Are, have term on your deal for three more seasons doesn't mean you couldn't be dealt. And specifically, those teams that have gotten out of front of it and made four or five of those trades that we've seen leading up until now, they have had term. Almost every single one of those guys has had another year on their deal, if not more. They have not really been as many rentals, um, Tyler Toffoli notwithstanding. So for the Preds, these are guys who will be UFAs in just a few months on July the 1st. So in theory, have to have a new, well, not in theory, they have to have a new contract in order to stay with the Nashville Predators. So Colin Blackwell's a UFA, Mikhail Granlund, Rocco Grimaldi, Craig Smith, Dan Hamuse, Yannick Weber, Matt Irwin, all unrestricted free agents, all potential guys that need new contracts in order to continue to play here. So interesting to see that how much appeal do they have to another team. Now, Craig Smith and Mikhail Granlund are the two names. And I'll, I'll borrow one more comment from David Poyle from last week. He said a lot of teams are offering, okay, if we're out of it, you can have this guy mm-hmm. and we'd want this. But if we're in it, we're keeping that guy, and we want that. I think Craig Smith and Mikhail Granlund are what? At least high second-round picks, maybe multiple draft picks. Could you even get a first-round draft pick out oh, of absolutely. one of them? Oh, absolutely. I think absolutely you could. And especially the way that both of them have arguably been, not including Kyle Turris, who's also probably been offered out there to some capacity, they've been the best players on the Preds roster the last few weeks. So they are helping their value either one way or the other, whether you want to keep them or whether you want to trade them. So... Interesting to see about what exactly they could, you know, fetch on the open market. And again, you're going to have that team that says, you know, I'm not necessarily willing to commit to a Mikhail Granlin for the next three, four seasons or, you know, whatever the six, seven million dollars he's going to want. But just for this postseason run, just for this push, am I willing to give up a first round pick, a prospect, something else like that? So that's the first thing you have to consider if you're Nashville. Well, and I think something that. So so if the Predators are going to be sellers, 
as you said, it's probably going to be a forward, I think, are their biggest pieces that they could deal. If they're going to be buyers, the defense aspect has been brought up a lot. But just about every defenseman that was out there and available has been traded in the last couple of days. Yeah. And so from a defensive perspective, Sammy Votnin, I think, is the big name that's still out there on the on the back end. But you've had, as you said earlier, Alec Martinez is gone. Dylan DeMello is gone. Brendan Dillon is gone. There, there's a whole host of blue liners who have been on the move over the last couple of days. And so if that's what you had identified as your biggest need and you still feel like that's the case and you still feel like if David Poyle feels like he wants to try to acquire someone, maybe it is a different situation that we're not necessarily thinking of. I don't think anyone was thinking of so, okay, perfect example. Last year at the deadline, the Predators get, like, right at the deadline, Wayne Simmons from Philadelphia and Mikhail Granlin from Minnesota. I think Wayne Simmons from Philadelphia, people, like, I, I don't think that was a surprise, right? I think the Predators were in on him all along. They were in on him all day, and they pulled the trigger and got him. Mikhail Granlin and Kevin Fiala, I don't know that anyone saw that coming. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think if you're maybe trying to get a defenseman at this point, it's not going to be someone that you're necessarily thinking of. Maybe is it a different deal in a way? Right. Right. Is it some, because again, those guys who were up there, they're all gone. All those teams have gotten out ahead of it and they've said, this is our guy. This is who we want. We're going to go and get him. Yep. And there really isn't a lot to choose from at defense right now. There's a couple of guys listed just looking at TSN's trade bait board. There's a couple guys in Minnesota, Jonas Brodeen, Matt Dumba, well, if Minnesota thinks they're still making a playoff run, which they think they are, they're right in it. They just fired Bruce Boudreaux, their head coach, which congrats to former Admirals coach Dean Evason, who steps in as the interim there. But you're not going to trade two of your best defensemen right. if you think you're making a playoff run. Right, and nor do I see the Predators, again, Matt Dumba's lot of term, high con, high cap hit as well. Like I, I don't necessarily think that they make that move per se. It's so tough. We think the Predators... I mean, is this the easiest bet? They want defense, right? Is that the number one need you want to fix on this team right now? It is, yes? Yeah, yeah, I, I, would, I would think so. Yeah, feels like your forwards are relatively set. Again, we'll see whether they keep or whether they don't. Your goaltendings come around a little bit. That was one of your bigger issues. But I think you're in a situation now where you thought maybe Dante Fabro was a little further, would be a little further along in his progress and his development. And so because of that, you have a bit of a need, especially maybe in that five to six defenseman range, that you'd love to have one more piece. Again, putting Ryan Ellis back in your top four. Do you have one more piece that competes with a Jared Tenorti, Yannick Weber X? You know, who is that new player? I think that's the most likely scenario. And I think because of that, you're not necessarily looking for a top four guy. Like, I think you and I talked about, like, hey, Brendan Dillon would have been nice. Like, that would have been a, a rental, would have been easy to do. Again, I don't know that the Preds want a defenseman with term per se. I think you just want that more of a veteran guy potentially, but just one of those guys who's able to come in and quiet that third pairing doesn't need to have a huge impact on the game, but what you don't want it to have is a negative impact. You want that player to be able to come in and give you that final option because it appears you've tried most of the season with Weber, Irwin, Tenorti, and that's you know one of your weaker spots that you'd like to fix. But, man, it's going to be interesting to see. And again, like, we're we're sitting here knowing like, what what do you have to get out of this back to back with Columbus and Chicago? At least two points. Yeah. But you probably want three. Yeah. And, and then here's what's interesting. So you have to make this decision now with an eye on what could be. And, and again, truly, no one knows. 
And especially, like, yes, you have to be encouraged with the Preds over the last 10, 11 games. Like you said, they've won seven out of their last 11 games. That's better than they've done most of the season. But then there's still this up-and-down roller coaster, and then you have the great weekend, and then you have the Tuesday night against Carolina. So you're like, okay, was that an aberration? Was that just we played a great team? What's going to happen? But one way or the other, you are in a close enough spot that you have a game against Calgary on February the 27th. Those are two teams competing for the last wild card spot. You still have another game against the Jets in late March, and you've got a game against the Oilers in there as well. So you've got this potential here to be able to kind of make your own luck in a sense. Like that's where you hear the old cliche of the four point game, but like that game against Calgary means so much more than a Tuesday against Ottawa and a Saturday against the Avalanche. You have to win and compete in those games as well. But like that means so much. So now it's so tough to say, but you don't get to wait and see, okay, are we in a playoff spot? Because here's the deal, guys. The Preds are going to actually make up these games in hand eventually. Um, And all of a sudden it starts to look like, at least in my opinion, Calgary, Arizona. Are they kind of on a downward trend? It kind of seems like it. Could you even see a Winnipeg and a Nashville be able to take over both of those wildcard spots? Something we predicted at the beginning of the season, then it looked like we were totally wrong. The Pacific Division has been stronger than we thought. But all of a sudden, you're right there knocking on the door, and yet you have to go ahead and likely make that decision. Well, not likely. You have to go ahead and make that decision now. Well, in a matter of a couple of games, the Pacific Division so close that you could be in the second wild card spot, and three days later, you could be first in the division. Yep. I don't. That's not the case with the Central. I don't see teams like Minnesota, like Nashville, like Winnipeg, catching up to the top slot. Right. I think those teams are a little far ahead right now. Seems like it's Dallas, St. Louis, Colorado. They've got about a five to seven point cushion over a Winnipeg and a Nashville. Agreed. Yeah, so it's so kind of wild card or bust for those two central teams. Yeah, so that's possible, but unless one of those teams fault really falters down yeah. the stretch, I don't I don't see that happening. So yeah, it probably would be a wild card position for the Predators. And and it's those Pacific Division teams. You're gonna have to win again as many games as you can. But it's those Pacific Division teams that are, are really right there with you, and you're you're probably going to need some help too, right? Like you're all, you're certainly already scoreboard watching if you're the Predators to see what are these teams doing night by right, night, right? And, and again, this is where we said this a few weeks ago: the Predators, by winning percentage, have the toughest remaining schedule in the Western mm-hmm. Conference. So you're not getting a break there, and you're looking at these other teams, asking yourself, okay. Arizona lost to Dallas on Wednesday night. That's great. That makes you feel better. You feel like you were able to make up for your loss on Tuesday. But then you look ahead to the schedule, and Nashville has a back a home and home rather with the Stars to early in March. So then you've got to be able to prove it. They lost Dallas. Can you beat them in a couple weeks? So, man, is it going to be close? It's going to be very interesting. I still think, if I had to predict right now, again, assuming you win one of these, at least one of these games coming in the back, I still think you're more likely to buy than you are to sell. Mm-hmm. But here's what's so tough. At least one, what, maybe two teams are going to be wrong. They are going to sit yeah. here and say, you know what, we're close enough, we're going for it, we're doing this, we're going to buy, and then you're going to, and then you're not going to make it. Like, that's going to happen, again, because you have four teams vying for two spots as of this recording. And it's, again, the Pacific Division fluctuates, but it's Calgary, Arizona, Winnipeg, Nashville. Only to make it. All four of them are probably likely to do something to think this could get us over the hump. Arizona's to the point, we'll wrap on this, but they made their big deal earlier in the season and got Taylor Hall. They have not won enough with him to the point that some analysts are saying, well, do they trade Taylor Hall again? I mean, he's a rental. Do they just try to get what they can for him and say, all of a sudden, this isn't our year? So then that just goes back to Nashville even more so with a Smith, 
with a Grainland, with a Grimaldi. Those kind of three probably most appealing pieces to other teams. Ugh. We'll see. <laughs> we'll be back uh, in just a moment. We're going to talk a little bit more about the upcoming NHL trade deadline. What else has happened around the league? A little bit of Predators history. And uh, we'll see what happens on Monday. But we'll talk more on the trade deadline coming up on segment three of the Preds Official Podcast right here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Stevie Nicks was the dealer. We got 31 more dealers. Well, that's the tough part of it being your second annual NHL trade deadline edition. We used, what is it called? The gambler? The dealer? The gambler. The gambler yeah. last year. Well, we didn't want to do that again. So look at you knowing another song that mentions being a dealer. Here she comes. Stevie Nicks. Welcome back to the POP, Fred's official podcast here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Brooks Bratton and Thomas Willis as we continue with our pre-trade deadline extravaganza. Wanted to take a skate around the rest of the league and mention what has already happened. Again, a lot of teams have gotten out ahead of this, and there's been a run on defenseman. Vegas acquired Alec Martinez from L.A., of course, the Stanley Cup goal-scoring mm-hmm. hero a few years back there for the Kings. Uh, St. Louis got Marco Scandella from Montreal. Washington gets Brendan Dillon from the Sharks. Winnipeg gets Dylan DeMello from Ottawa. Vancouver gets Tyler Toffoli. That's one of the bigger names out there from L.A. Tampa Bay gets Blake Coleman from New Jersey. And the Devils also traded their captain, Andy Green, to the New York Islanders. Another defenseman there. So Jersey is one of those teams. We talk about teams not knowing what position they're in. Jersey, they know they're selling. Yeah, Detroit. If they have people to sell, they're going to sell. Ottawa is going to be selling. L.A. is going to be selling. They already have been selling. So because New Jersey is selling, does that have any bearing on how you approach the next few days? Because your head coach, John Hines, used to be in New Jersey the last three or four years and knows those players even better. Does that impact anything at all? And let me ask you this question as well. Mikhail Granlund, Craig Smith have been two of your better, if not the best forwards, under Hines. Yeah. Does that make you more likely to want to keep them because you think to yourself, hey, they, in theory, when he's our coach next season, they could succeed even more? Or is it the other way, you know, like, hey, you know, this guy, for example, and I'm, I don't know a specific name, but he fit better under Laviolette. Do we want to shake it up? Do we want to make some move there? Yeah. What do you As do if there? David Poyle's decision wasn't already difficult enough. No, you're right. Two of, the, two of Nashville's best forwards are two of the guys who have been. Yeah on the block, so to speak, or at least are unrestricted and would make sense if you do elect to sell. I I don't know. And Well, that's a good point about John Hines, too, is that he obviously is familiar with the players in the Devils organization. The Predators know Ray Shiro, who has been gone, who is gone now, but built that team. And now it's Tom Fitzgerald, who was Nashville's mm-hmm. first captain. There's still quite a relationship there in New Jersey, and Tom Fitzgerald has a plan being in there now. As David Poyle hit him up and see what else is left on their roster. Let me give you one more. So as because we, that because if you're trading with Jersey, right? Yeah. That's where Sammy Vatnin's coming from. Exactly. And I think that's why we believe it was Dan Rosenmanshell.com threw that one out first is where I saw that. Um thirty one thoughts of Ellie Friedman, friend of show. He said maybe Connor Sheary, who is a forward, and he's currently with Buffalo, but he was saying there's a New Jersey connection and then a Wilkesbury Scranton Penguins AHL connection with him and John Hines. Could that be an option? Here's the thing. The Predators are estimated at this point to have 11-ish million dollars available in cap space for next season. I rattled off the 6-7 UFAs. 
you're probably, even if you are keeping Granlin and Smith, you very likely only have the cap space to even sign one of them. So that mm-hmm. is one more factor to consider in this conversation as you're, you yourself, the listener, are playing GM here. If you're keeping Mikhail Granlin, are you probably making the decision that I'm only keeping him for the next three months, that I then I'm going to essentially lose him for nothing one way or the other? Ugh, that's tough. And then yeah. here's the other factor. Like, we asked David Poyle this last week, and again, he couldn't give an answer because who knows, but how much do you really believe in your team in the sense that do you just think we all we have to do is get in? We've played fantastic on the road. If we were able to get up to the first wild card, we'd played the Pacific Division for the first two rounds, likely. So that's the other thing to consider. Like you could get into that factor, and in theory, maybe you haven't had the you have not had a good season series against the Canucks, but you've played pretty well against the Flames. You've played you know even ish with the Oilers. If you're able to get on that side of the bracket, okay, well, all of a sudden we're in the Western Conference Final, and that's worth it. Again, I know that's a lot of hypotheticals. Or do you really have to tell yourself, you know what? This year just wasn't it. This year wasn't it. And if I keep some of these pieces, all of a sudden, meaning Smith and Granlin specifically, and then want to resign them or try to salvage some of that, well, then you have the same team you had this year. And yes, you have John Hines uh, with a full training camp and a new year, and I think that is a big piece. But still, like how much, and this is the decision he has to make essentially in the next, again, 72 hours or so, you know, how much do I believe that this was a fluke? This was an aberration. We've turned the corner. I want to believe it and chance it and know that there's risk there. Or am I, you know, willing to get the prospects and the picks and say, you know, year off, we'll come back fresh. We'll have different players in different positions for the 2021 season. History tells us David Poyle will make a move. He will do something. He likes to do something at or near the deadline. He hasn't done anything yet. And again, traditionally, at least in the last little bit, he has gotten out a little bit ahead of things. In 2017, he was out ahead of it. He got Vern Mm -hmm. Fiddler in February. P.A. Parento was a little bit closer. 2018, Ryan Hartman was at the deadline. But you also signed Mike Fisher the next day, who came back from retirement. And you also made the Kyle Turris trade way earlier in that season. So that was your big acquisition there. And then last season, he got Brian Boyle and Cody McLeod out ahead of things. And at that time said, I'm pretty content with my roster. But of course, if there's a way to improve it, you will. Then swings in right in the last half hour on deadline day with Mikhail Granlin and Wayne Simmons. So again, we're not guaranteeing anything. We don't know anything from the inside. But we do know that David Poyle, I don't think, likes to sit on his hands at the deadline. Yeah, He's certainly working the phones. It's not like he's sitting there not doing anything. Right, right, right. Uh, he's going back and forth. We can promise you that. And that usually ends up leading to something. And whether it's a buyer or a seller, it's just, yeah. I don't, we've never been, at least you and I in the time that we've been here, have never seen a situation like this. And that's what makes it so tricky. And that's what makes it so for lack of a better term, entertaining for us on the outside to see it. But then on the inside, boy, is it a tough decision because you've got to think right now and you've got to think long-term with your hockey club. How does this help my team? How does this hurt my team? There's a lot of things to consider right now. Right, and and then here's the other thing. like More likely than not, the best offer has not been made yet to David Poyle, right? Yeah, There could be a team that really wants Craig Smith and they haven't put all their cards on the table yet because they're talking to other teams or they're waiting to see where they are at when, in the standings when it comes to the deadline. So all of a sudden, you may make the decision on Saturday morning, I'm keeping him. But then at Monday at lunchtime, when you get a, a different offer, all of a sudden you're thinking to yourself, oh, you know, is there a way I could swing that? 
recoup, whatever, I'm making this up, a first-round pick and that defensive prospect that I really want and still be able to make both work. I think that's an option. Here's a final thing to consider. The Predators have two second-round picks. They also have two third-round picks for this coming 2020 draft. No fourth-round pick, no seventh-round pick. I was looking this up. It's kind of funny. Seventh-round pick was in the Cody McLeod deal, I guess, last se- mm-hmm. two seasons ago. No, last, last season. Last season, yeah. boy, time flies. And then the fourth round was a conditional to the Flyers in the Ryan Hartman-Wayne Simmons deal. So mm-hmm. you've got an extra second-round pick, and the second-round pick is from the P.K. Subban deal, so it yeah. belongs to New Jersey which is not making the playoffs, which is likely to maybe even be in the draft, will be in the draft lottery and could be a pretty high pick in that second round. It's almost a first-round pick. Are you willing to keep that? Do you want to trade that? That's a factor. The third-round pick in the 2020 draft is from the Minnesota Wild. So that could be, is that an extra bargaining chip that you think to yourself, hey, we've got a surplus. I'm willing to move the second-round pick. I'm fine with that. Or is it, you know, this could be a big year for us to, you know, sit back, get even more picks and prospects and really kill at this draft and reset our prospect pool interesting to see the phone lines are smoking and they're we'll only finding gonna, out soon they're only going to get even hotter over the next few days we don't know what's going to happen but what we do know is no matter what does happen we will be back next week to recap it all for you we're not quite done this week though we got a few fan questions to get to as we wrap things up here on the preds official podcast coming up next on espn 1025 the game Fourth and final segment of episode 74 of the Predators official podcast here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Brooks Bratton, Thomas Willis, the 1975, back here to wrap things up on the program. Last week, love was in the air on Valentine's Day, and we asked you, give us your favorite love song. Looking for some new items. And uh, a lot of I was impressed. I had not heard of a lot of the suggestions. That's so. just what I was going to ask. Good. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. I mean, I like Listeners. to think, think myself as pretty well versed in music, but uh, some new suggestions there for sure. So thanks to all of you who entered by using hashtag Preds Podcast on Twitter. The winner of an autographed puck, however, only one can win. Many will enter. Few will win. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Coleman. Congratulations to you, sir. The winner of an autographed puck by the player of your choice. I will reach out to you. We will get that squared away. So congratulations. Thanks to everyone as well for their entries. We always appreciate the interaction. Thanks to those of you who used hashtag Preds podcast to ask questions of us. Um, Some of them we've answered already throughout the show, um, but two that did not quite fit the conversation per se. One from Will wants to know about Saros, Rene, the goaltending split. Yeah, what's what's the deal right now? How we see that going. Um it's going to be interesting to see. So I have been posed the question of, you know, is Saros the starter? You know, that that frankly. Or, you know, is Rene getting more rest? Or what's the deal with that? I think pretty simply, one of the Predators' larger issues this entire season has been their goaltending. And I've seen this put out by some other reporters as well. If you look at head coaches in the NHL that get let go, usually they're receiving pretty poor goaltending. And then a lot of times it's also like, you know, worse than normal goaltending. So, like, Peter LaViolette had been blessed with Pecorini being an excellent, one of it, maybe top 10, top 15 at least, in the league starter for his tenure. You know, both those numbers dipped. Saros dipped at the start of the year for sure as well. And that, you know, leads, at least in some small part, to him being let go. And if you look at those other six, seven um, 
changes that have been made in, for other NHL teams, that kind of rings true as well. So I think with that being one of your bigger issues, Hines comes in as the new head coach and just says, you know, whoever it takes, right, whatever it takes to win. And we touched on this a couple episodes ago saying that, I, in my opinion at least, when Saro started the first three games of that four-game road trip, I'm not even sure that was the exact plan. But when he won the first two, your thought is, yeah, I mean, whatever it takes. We have to get wins right now. We have to get points of any manner. And so that's why Rene only ends up starting the final game of that road trip in Vancouver. And I think likewise, even though Rene played maybe one of his best games of the season on Sunday against the Blues, Saros all of a sudden had won the majority out of his last 10 starts. And you owed him to give him another chance because he, again, had beaten the Blues on Saturday and he picked up the shutout on Thursday against the Islanders. And you, you just needed to try him again. If that means he's the starter to you, then I guess I'm okay with that. But I don't know that this is, you know, as if like he's going to unquestionably begin to get whatever seven out of 10 starts and be like, well, you know, maybe Saros, you know, lost three or four of them, but he's our starter now. Renee's the backup. I don't think in any way it's being approached that way. I think it is simply whatever it takes to win. I mean, mm-hmm. and again, depending on when you're listening to this, the Predators do have a back to back on Friday, Saturday. So you're seeing both goaltenders there. And then, you know, who knows? It's a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, the next week. So one of those goaltenders, you would think it's two of those starts. It's probably still stars at this point, but I mean, who knows? All of a sudden, Rene's had two of his better games in his last three starts. Vegas, which was a loss, the team was terrible in front of him, gets pulled in Vancouver. That's the bad one, but then good, good against the Blues. So again, I, I think my answer is for the first time, if this is a playoff team, meaning Nashville, I don't think that you can say at this moment, Saros is the starter for game one, or Rene is the starter for game one, if that makes sense. Yeah, agreed. And and I think, you know, it's not that it's been labeled as this, but controversy is the last word that I would use to describe this situation. Sure. I think we all knew that this was probably coming. It's just something new to see Pecorine not getting the majority of the starts as he has done for just about the last decade with this organization. And the good thing about it is we all know it's been widely documented how good their relationship is, Rene and Saros. And so it's not like Pekka is, yeah, he's got a lot of pride. He wants to be in there. He wants to be the guy. He he might still be the guy at points during the rest of the season or next season. But at the same time, he said the other day, I mean, he's been asked about it, Pekka Rene has, and he said, "I'm look. I'm just happy to see Juice doing well, mm-hmm. right? Like they, he really does kind of look at him as a son in a way. And you know, yeah, you want to be the guy, you want to be in there. But if if you're going to be happy for someone else having success, it's going to be Pecorino being happy for Yusei Saros. Yes, I, I think to that point, right? It's not something that he is fighting. And I even recall, I don't remember exactly what the phrase was, but after Sunday's win, when Rene's you know made thirty plus saves." and just logged an excellent victory against the Blues, even in those comments, he was speaking as if, yeah, Saros is going to be starting on Tuesday. I mean, you could mm. he was making that implication. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. I think the question marks remain for these last 25-ish games um, to go, so we'll see. But, again, I think it's at least a positive sign that you're finally getting better efforts from both of them. That's something you weren't getting from either earlier in the season. Finally, Rick and Rich, interestingly <laughs> enough, both asked about nutrition for the players. So that that's an interesting setup. Uh, maybe speak to that briefly. Yeah, so I, I honestly love talking about this. I'm always kind of like, I don't know if I should label myself as a foodie, but like I love food and trying new foods and having different types of things. And that's obviously incredibly important when you're a professional athlete, right? Your food, your food is your fuel. 
And if you're not properly fueled, you're not going to put lame gasoline in a Ferrari. It's not going to work as well as if you're putting in the turbo stuff, right? If you're a professional. Something you know from personal experience. Sure, exactly. It's sitting right right on the parking lot. If you're a professional athlete, you know, you're not going to be dumping a burger and fries down the hatch a few hours before game time. It's not going to work. Well, and also hockey's a very different sport than like you're not an offensive lineman in football where you're like, okay, I've got to consume 5,000 calories today. It's a yeah. leaner, more, it's a different sport for your body in that way as well. Yeah, so there there is a team nutritionist and uh, available for assistance anytime, anytime the guys need it. I think certain guys are more into it than others. There might be some guys who come in and say, hey, I'd like a little bit of extra help. I'll tell you what, Craig Smith drinks this smoothie grass thing after games <laughs> that I'm not even sure you can call it a smoothie. I yeah. think it looks like yard clippings. Well, so <laughs> oh, it really does. Well, so we did a story on Eric Nystrom, former Predator, mm-hmm. a few seasons back, who, like, he's a guy who's really into it. Like, he had his own dairy cow. At, like he want because he wanted to know where his milk was coming from and yeah. his dairy products and yeah. not not everyone Sheesh. is as into it as that. Go back and find see if you can find it if you're interested in in that read. But yeah, it is a fascinating process and I that's a topic I think I'd like to touch on more maybe in the summertime, uh, like during a development camp when the new guys come in because they all yeah. get nutrition training as well. It, it's it's a hugely important topic. Yes, that's a great point. So in development camp, traditionally the Preds have had a night where they will go to a place where it's kind of instructed, hey, we don't get to see you most of the time throughout the year. Please be eating this. Please be eating that. And then one final note on that. You'd be surprised just how much, how many rather meals the Predators eat either at the rink or on the road. So all of a sudden the Preds actually are around and able to kind of impact what they eat as well. You're eating in morning skates before games. You're of course eating on the road and that sort of thing. So um, interesting to see how that can all factor together to make a better NHL player. The pl- classic pregame meal, chicken and pasta. What more could you want than that? There you go. What more could you want than the Preds Official Podcast, which is wrapping <laughs> up here for Brooks Bratton. Follow him at Brooks Bratton on Twitter and Instagram. Um, follow me at Tom A. Willis on Twitter. This has been another episode of the POP on ESPN 1025. The game for more, go to NashvillePredators.com slash podcast. We appreciate you tuning into this special edition the trade deadline edition of the Preds official podcast. Please rate and subscribe. We're available on all your po- your major podcast delivery services. We'll catch you in a week. Monday, 2 o'clock. Get ready.